Well, welcome one and all to the program we call Illumination, uh, coming from the library of Sunset Lodge number 369 in Santa Monica, California. By the way, people who are not in the States might be other places or something. You don't know where Santa Monica is. Santa Monica is just west of Los Angeles on the beach side, as we like to call it. In fact, our lodge is located just a tad bit over a mile away from the beach and the world-famous Santa Monica Pier. Anyway, we're here to to talk about all things Masonic, whether it's principals, people, or teachers. We're just here for that. If you want to get in touch with us, the way to do it is to go to our website. That is sunsetmasoniclodge.org. Sunsetmasoniclodge.org. And by the way, I'm Les Jones. I'm the host. I am also serving as the senior deacon of our lodge. Anyway, my guest to talk about things today is our good old producer, Michael Wallback. How are you doing, my brother? Hey, Les. Really good. Um, and looking forward to the show. It's always a lot of fun. So um, I, I think it's going to be a great one. And, you know, I was thinking the other night we were doing our third degree. Right. And the last thing that we do is we always have the candidate, after he's had his third degree, sign the Constitution and Bylaws of the Lodge, the bylaws in particular. And it's the actual book that we started with back in 1905 in this lodge. So there's literally the, the signature of every member of our lodge that's been raised going all the way back there, our whole lineage. So it really got me thinking about some of the people that have belonged to the fraternity over the years and, and some of the fascinating stories. So I thought that might be a really fun topic for us to do tonight. Let's do that. Let's do that. Now, what, what, why don't you start us off with it there, Brother Michael? All right. Um, well, let's see. Um, I think that one of the most important things really are, to me, the people that have really embodied Freemasonry and our, our right. Masonic values right. that we've had over the years. And there's been some, some really great examples of that. Um, but the ones that come to my mind in particular, um, you know, I think that Alexander the Great, and, and obviously a pretty important person, and when he was the, the head of, of Russia, um, there's a wonderful story about him. And one of the vows we take as Masons is that we're to take care of our, our widows. Um, and Masons take that pretty seriously. We're always trying to make sure they don't become destitute and that they're, t they're cared for if something happens to their husband. And that was a big founding principle of Freemasonry in general, going all the way back to the Stonemason guilds, because, again, a lot of the Masons would get injured or killed on the job, and there'd be no one to take care of their families. So uh, the Masons formed these guilds and bonded together as a way of doing that. So um, the story goes that, that um, Alexander the Great was in this uh, pawn shop, and he was sort of in disguise, so nobody knew it was him. And there was a, a widow of a brother Mason who was in there and um, trying to pawn the ring of, of her, Masonic ring of her deceased husband. And the guy that was on the shop was a Mason, and he was really trying to shortchange her, offering very little for the ring. And uh, Alexander the Great revealed himself and read the guy the riot act, which I can only imagine must have been a lot of fun if Alexander the Great oh, was yes. there in front of you, uh, letting you know that you were in big trouble with him. And then he gave her um, money out of his pocket and said uh, in the future, should she need anything, she was to present herself at the palace and he personally would see that she was taken care of. So a man that you know really uplived and lived the principles of, of Freemasonry to the greatest extent possible. And I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. But, okay, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, go ahead. No, what I want to bring up to is the, the living principles of Masonry. And I think that shows a lot right there. Why don't you delve a little bit into uh, some of our founding fathers? Many of our founding fathers were Masons, weren't they? 
Yeah, we absolutely. Uh, you know, Washington um, and Jefferson, um, many of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, Paul Revere. Um, if we really look at it, the, the American Revolution, again, a big part of the success of that was the Masonic connections that these people had. And, and you know, the Jefferson spent a great deal of time in France with, with Masons he was connected with there. And, of course, the French were a huge part of supporting America during the Revolutionary War. And if it weren't for those Masonic connections and alliances, maybe the outcome would have been very different. Um, and then also the idea of trust. And, and you know, Masons, we do take a, an obligation to care for one another and, and you know, be loyal to one another. And during the Revolutionary War, I don't know if you know this, Les, but um, with Washington, the only his personal bodyguard, the only people he would trust with his life were Freemasons. So all of his personal bodyguard were members of the fraternity. So I always thought that was pretty cool. That really is great. All right. Now, um, there were a lot of people that really showed Masonic principles, whether they were Masons or not, and how they gave back to the community. One person in particular I wanted to speak about was Henry Ford. Yeah, I mean, here again, you know, you have a person who is pretty important in, in industrial America. Um, and I can't even imagine, you know, Ford if, if he hadn't existed because, again, a lot of the modern mechanization and assembly line and creating an affordable automobile. And if you think about how important that was to the development of our country, mobilization, yes. uh, we see that during the Second World War with Hitler creating the Volkswagen because he believed that if he could mobilize the population of Germany, it could pull them out of the Depression. So because when people can get around, they obviously have a lot more opportunity to find employment and work and better themselves. And so Ford, uh, you know, created the the... Model A and the Model T, the very affordable cars. But I, again, one of the things about him was that he actually paid his workforce substantially more than he had to. Um, by you know, and and he did that. He said first of all because he wanted to have a market for his cars, so <laughs> paying them he, he had people that could buy them. Right. But I think that there was some Masonic principle in that too. That it was again, it was he had the opportunity to alleviate suffering and make sure people were well taken care of. And I think as a Mason that spoke to him on some level, and I, I always believe that that was part of that decision also. So, again, you know, we, we see that in action where a lot of times Masons will go above and beyond, and not just for other Masons, but for their, the, anyone in need, um, right. and will come through. I mean, we see that today in the Midnight Mission downtown that um, one of our, our past grandmasters here, Larry, Larry Adamson, used to run the, the Midnight Mission for many, many years. And so... Um, it was just, it's one of those things where it was started by a Mason and his daughter. They saw the homeless people out there at night and they opened their doors to them and took them in at midnight and and gave them a place, a safe place to sleep. And it's become an incredible organization over the years. And Masons are still very involved in running that. So, And of course, many of the people we're helping have nothing to do with the fraternity, but they're suffering and in need. And, and the Masons are going out of their way to try and alleviate that in our society. Right. Um, another person who I think embodied that in, in his writing was Charles Dickens. Mm. And again, you know, we look at some of the themes in his writing. Now, from what I understand, he himself was not a Mason, but his brothers were. And so he was obviously very exposed to the philosophy and, and the ideals of masonry and I've often thought again some of the, the aspects where he's talking about alleviating the suffering of the poor and there's so much emphasis on charity in, in many of his writings you know whether it's Oliver Twist or of course you know Scrooge in A Christmas Carol <laughs> very Masonic right. in many ways oh, yes. so so again you know I, I think that there was a big part of that in, in the way that they viewed the world and, and the uh, 
whole idea of the Age of Enlightenment, you know, the, very much took root in a lot of Masonic lodges, you know, Voltaire and people like that that um, believed in a better world and how to create that. And, and I think that, that Masonry is a part of that on some level. I think that the principles and the values and the lessons taught and the degrees, I think, are what shaped a lot of their thinking. Mm. Well, thank you. And uh, just want to pause for a moment and let you know you're listening or watching, either way, the program Illumination from the Library of Sunset Lodge number 369 in Santa Monica, California. My name is Les Jones. Our guest and producer is Brother Michael Wombach. If you want to get in touch with us, please, our, our, our what is it? Our web address is sunsetmasoniclodge.org, sunsetmasoniclodge.org. Org. We're here most Tuesdays at 6.30 where we, when we eat from 6.30 to 7.30. If you're Brother Mason, we'd love to see you. If you're not, just want to find out more about us, please feel free to come by and ask whatever questions you want or just come by and just have a good time with us. We'd love to see you. Now, um, as time goes on in history, you brought up somebody that I thought was kind of interesting, Joseph Brandt. Can you tell us a little bit about him or what he does? What yeah, he does? I, I mean, Joseph Brandt, I think, is one of those characters, again, that maybe a lot of people are not familiar with. But um, he was a Mohawk chief during the um, French and Indian Wars in the 1700s. Um, and he was a Freemason. He, he was actually made a Mason by King George himself. He actually went to England and got his Masonic degrees there, and King George himself presided over the degrees. So, And he took his Masonry very, very seriously. It was very important to him. Um, so there's this incredible story about him that he was actually, they'd captured a prisoner, and the prisoner was going to be tortured and executed, and it, it was a not the best of times when it came to being captured in those days. Very I think true. that it was a barbaric time in our history, although I suppose some people would argue there's, we're not far from that these days in many respects, too. But, but certainly in those days, it wouldn't have been a good thing. Um, and this guy, Masons, we have... I think many people know this, that there's uh, ways of letting it be known that you're a Mason and, and that we are, are... So here's this guy in this, this Indian village uh, who's about to be executed, um, and he's surrounded by Native Americans, and he, he gives the, the secret signal that he's a Freemason to sort of in the, the vain hope that somebody will recognize it. And, and lo and behold, against all odds, Joseph Brandt is a Freemason. <laughs> so he recognizes this, and he orders a halt to the execution. He takes him under his own care uh, to return him to the, his family. Um, so as they're going about their business of returning this guy to his family, Lo and behold, it turns out that he was never a Freemason, that he had friends who were Freemasons, and as they were drinking a little too much, they'd let slip some of the, the secrets, and he'd sort of caught on to it. Right. Um, so rather than get upset, Joseph Brandt took money out of his own pocket and paid for his Masonic degrees, figuring if he already knew the secrets, he should at least obligate him to keep them secret. That's true. <laughs> so, so the guy made it all right. But it just goes to show the reach that the fraternities had over the years, where even in a, a Native American village in the 1750s, uh, the chances that one of the natives there is a Freemason, and the chief himself, obviously, um, is pretty remarkable when you think about it. And, and when you look at history, the, the impact that this organization has had on the world um, in so many respects, you know, culture, sports, literature, um, 
industrialism, military stuff, science, I mean, just on and on and on. And, and, I, and I like to think that really when you look at it, so much of our modern society was shaped by Freemasons in so many different ways, you know. Yes. And so I, I think you see this. But it's really remarkable, some of these stories that, that we have. And there's some really other great stories about, you know, different times during wars where Freemasonry came into play as well. We were talking about that. Tell us about a You've got a couple of stories about the Civil War time, don't you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think really there there are some really cool stories that that stem from that. And one of the things that's interesting about the Civil War as a whole, of course, is you end up with brother against brother. Mm -hmm. um, so on both the North and the South, there were Freemasons. And, and so it was a time in our history where it was American versus American, and people were very divided. And often people that probably had friendships and then ended up on both sides of that, that conflict. So it, it was a, a really interesting time in our history in many respects. Um, but there were a couple of stories that came to my mind that are, are fascinating and, and, again, kind of show how Freemasonry can even transcend conflict in a sense and should, you know, in, in so many respects. But there was a, a story about this guy who was from the north and he was captured in Savannah in, in Georgia um, and was in, in a, a prisoner of war camp there. Um, and his law, he was a second degree Freemason, a, a fellow craft. Um, and his lodge in Michigan actually contacted the lodge in Savannah and said, look, you know, we have this dude sitting there in your prison camp. He's only got his second degree. And we were hoping that he could get his third degree. Is there any way he could help us out with that? Um, and so, of course, the, the lodge in Savannah said, sure, you know, we'll be happy to give him his third degree for you. So they went down to the prison camp and they got the guy out and they took him down to the, the, the lodge. And, and presiding over the degree were basically union officers in their gray uniforms. And here he is in his tattered blue northern uniform and, and, uh, of the union. And, and he's getting his Masonic degree from all these Confederate generals and officers. Um, and so after he gets his third degree and becomes a Master Mason, of course, they have a, a celebratory meal and, and whatnot, a little banquet in his honor. And after which they're taking him back to the prisoner of war camp. And, and according to history, somehow miraculously he um, managed to escape. My goodness. <laughs> and and he, I, I believe there was a story that he credited it in, in later years to someone named Hiram <laughs> that he was able to escape. There you go. <laughs> but, there you uh, go. <laughs> but anyway, he, he did manage to escape miraculously and made his way back to his family. And I, I think there was maybe a little more going on to it than just his cleverness at that point. Yeah, I think so. Um, so that was cool. And then there's another story that always stuck with me, too, and I don't know if you've heard, but um, a famous story that during one of the naval engagements and, and the Union ships were bombarding the, the southern position and uh, the southern forts, of course, firing back. And so during the, the battle, one of the uh, officers on the Union ship was killed. Um, and he was a Freemason, and they wanted to bury him with the Masonic ritual. And, and Masons have a Masonic funeral ritual that we have, and, and they wanted him buried with his Masonic honors. So they, they kind of you know, let it be known and put up a, a flag of truce and let it be known to the Union side that this, is, this was the situation. And the Union um, soldiers actually called a ceasefire for 24 hours so the person could be buried with both sides attending and then went back to fighting again. Wow. So it was actually something where they did call a, a truce to actually literally make sure this person was taken care of properly. Um, right. And I, I remember another story, too, that it just so many come flooding back to my sure. mind that— um, I don't know if you may have heard this one, too, in San Francisco, that um, back in the day, uh, a body washed ashore, and they took it, he drowned, they took him to the, the, have his autopsy done, and when they removed the clothing, he was covered in Masonic tattoos. 
Um, and when the Masons in San Francisco heard about it, they went down and claimed the body and made sure he got a proper burial. They never did identify him. They have no idea who he was, but they just assumed because he was all covered in Masonic tattoos that he was a brother Mason and they wanted right. to make sure he was properly taken care of. So, so there's this incredible you know, brotherhood and charity to Freemasonry that I, I think more so in a sense, other organizations have fraternity and fellowship and so forth, but I think to Masonry it's just a different level. Right. And, and I've often believed that it's such a different level that we see this that... Uh, maybe no other organization really has, you know, to so many degrees. And I, I know exactly what you mean. And I, one of the things I love about what you've been talking about is that it, it's not just one among ourselves, but we take that very same spirit and share it with the world. So it's not just just us only, us against them, but we actually do share it with the world. Yeah, I think absolutely. Um and I, I think that there is just something to it, you know. And, and, of course, we have a long history going back to, I think we have Masonic documents back to the 1400s. But, and, of course, you know, the modern Masonry really came into being with the Grand Lodge of England forming in the early 1700s. But, right. but again, you know, we, we have such a long lineage, and I, I think that this is all such a part of that in so many ways. Real good. And, um, you know, there are many types of Masons. We've been talking about it. By the way, I want to remind you, you're watching or listening to the program Illumination from the Library of Sunset Lodge number 369 in Santa Monica, California. My name is Les Jones. I serve as the senior deacon of our lodge. If you want to get in touch with us, just look us up on the web. The address is sunsetmasoniclodge.org. Sunsetmasoniclodge.org. We're here most Tuesday nights starting at 6.30 when we eat. We'd love to see you. Now, there's another, uh, there are many different phases of masonry, many different things you could study. One of the things I wanted to uh, bring up to you is something called esoteric masonry. Uh, uh, someone like uh, the author Manley P. Hall. Uh, what, do you, what do you have to say? What do you know about someone like him? Well, again, this is what sets us, I think, apart from so many other similar organizations, is it's not just the fellowship and the brotherhood, but there is this incredibly deep esoteric aspect to Freemasonry. Um, and, uh, you know, people who have contributed so heavily to that and studied its symbolism over the years. And Manley Hall is a great example. You know, he's someone that was here in Los Angeles um, with the Philosophical Research Society in Los Feliz. He was the founder of that. And he was a wealthy man. He traveled the world. He, he gathered together all these ancient texts. He had a Gutenberg Bible. He had, uh, you know, all, all these incredibly old, you know, texts and, and whatnot that he acquired with his library. I don't know if you know, but his library was actually um, acquired by the Getty Center. No. And so actually it's, it exists now at the Getty Center, and you can actually go to the Getty Center and still peruse a lot of the books that he collected over the years. But Manley Hall... Again, you know, he sort of took all of this, this study that he'd done and all this research and all these texts and compiled it into a book called The Secret Teachings of All Ages. Um, and it's one of those books that every coffee table should have, especially the really massive version of it. It's just beautiful. And, and it touches briefly on so many different um, teachings from the Western esoteric stuff, the Egyptian stuff, you know, Hermeticism, Kabbalah, all these different uh, schools of, of mystery teachings. Um, and it sort of compiles it all into sort of one text. And it, 
it's a it's sort of a foundation text to, and, and to just touch on all these different topics. Um, but Manley Hall actually held Masonry in the highest regard. He always felt Freemasonry was it. It, it was the, the, the such high, high esteem that he held it. But he was so busy, he never got around to joining <laughs> until oh, no. he was very elderly. I didn't realize um, that. And he didn't actually join Freemasonry until very late in his life, and right. he actually came to it. Um, but when he joined um, and got his third degree, and then he actually joined the Scottish Rite, um, and one of the interesting things about that was they immediately made him a 33rd degree Mason based on his life work and all the teachings he'd done and so forth. And so, a uh, remarkable character. Now, now the and then, oh, go oh, ahead. I'm no, sorry. go ahead. No, I was going to bring up Crowley. What do you know about Crowley? Yeah. That's the one, one name I wrote down here that I wanted to bring up to you. Yeah, I, I mean, Crowley and, and Waite and those guys, um, if we go back to the, some of the people during that, that incredible time of, of esoteric thought, you know, and I've often thought one of those great golden ages was sort of that Victorian time when it came to, I mean, maybe people were just better educated in those days and all these things for some reason, but um, but it was certainly just an incredible time in esoteric stuff. And again, you know, uh, Arthur Waite, um, who we now think of with the, the tarot deck, the Waite tarot deck, um, and he was a contemporary of Crowley's. He um, was very much a Freemason. He's written actually a number of books on Freemasonry, and so a lot of the, uh, he studied extensively some of the symbolism and the esoteric stuff. And of course, a lot of that influenced his development of the tarot deck that he's known for as well. And then, of course, Crowley. And Crowley is, is obviously one of the biggest and most controversial names in, in all of esoteric stuff. Um, and he is and sort of isn't a Freemason in the sense that he joined several Masonic organizations, none of which were, were properly recognized. So, okay. so, so some Masons don't consider him a Mason. Others say, well, yes, he was. Um, I think he was a member, as I recall, of the Grand Orient of France, who was always on the outs with the Grand Lodge of England over some of the ritual. Um, I think he maybe belonged to an organization in Mexico at one point, too. Crowley was actually here in, on the West Coast in Los Angeles for a part of his latter life. Um, but again, you know, it would be really hard to think of, of esoteric study without those kind of guys, you know, and, and masonry was a part of what influenced them. Now, again, whether the esoteric stuff, I don't know if it, it stems from Freemasonry or if masonry borrowed from it or, or how it all came about, but there certainly is that strong correlation. Um, and in our degrees, you know, when people go through our degrees, there's a strong esoteric component to it. The, some hermeticism, some Kabbalah philosophy that finds itself into the degree. Um, and I think that if you're a student of that, you'll see things in the degrees that are incredibly familiar. And I think that it made people like this that were very into this esoteric aspect of life um, feel very at home in, in our degrees. And I think that's where a lot of that comes from. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Um, and one last final thing I want to bring up. We were talking about mainly the politicians. There are many. How many of our presidents have, have been Masons? Oh, good question. I, I think 13, as I recall. Uh, wow. might be wrong. Um, we had a couple of others that were close. I, I know that uh, the last one that was a Freemason, as I recall, was Gerald Ford. Right. Um, first one was Washington, obviously, of and the course. last one was Ford. Um, I know that... Um, Clinton, um, his father was a Freemason, and he was actually a member of the Demolay, uh, which was the Masonic Youth Order. And he actually credits the Demolay with giving him a lot of his ability to develop his public speaking skills uh, and a lot of the lessons he learned and the practice he got in the, the Order of Demolay. He credited that to his skills as an order that helped him become president. Um, and again, whether these people flock to Freemasonry because there's something that they recognize in it of value, I suspect. Um, Roosevelt, um, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, again, a very important Freemason um, and, you know, incredible, interesting person. Um, 
Harry Truman. You know, Harry was? Truman. Yes. Um, I mean, it just really goes on and on and on. You know the Good. list. And and but I also think that some of these people were not just presidents, but some of the best presidents that we've had in so many respects. I mean, Roosevelt in particular. Right. Um, he was elected to what four terms or something, yes. and he would have been elected to four more if they hadn't put term limits on him to get rid of him. So so I mean, it was. Uh, and, and you think about the person who really dragged this country out of the depression, who advanced it so much in, in terms of its welfare. Um, it's hard to think of a president better than than Roosevelt, you know, that that was capable of that. And I think the Masonic stuff he took very proudly. Oh, a quick story about him. I don't know sure. if you know this, um, since we're telling stories tonight, um, is that, and we talk about masonry where all men are equal. And, and whether you're the president, whether you're not, once you step into a Masonic lodge, equality is one of the themes, that all men are created equal. And, and again, you know, the... the um, Declaration of Independence, many people think is a Masonic document in the way it lays things out, but there is that sense of equality. So there's a story about um, Roosevelt that when he was president, um, that his gardener was a Freemason and a past master of the local lodge, and occasionally Roosevelt as president would still sneak in and visit the lodge from time to time in Washington. So one night he shows up at the lodge, um, and the master is away or sick or something that night, and his gardener's filling in as master. So during the ritual, the president of the United States had to refer to his gardener as worshipful sir. His master was the gardener so, That's so right. at the White House. So, so really fascinating stuff. J. Edgar Hoover, another famous name that, that comes to mind that was a Mason during those times. So again, pretty influential people for sure. Yeah, and there's a lot of a lot of good stuff, but then there's a lot of fun stuff. I remember watching a talk show where Shaquille O'Neal was on, and he had a big fancy bling Masonic ring on, and they were questioning him. And he said, "Of course I am. Shaq's one of the one of us, so to speak." Yeah, he very much. He he joined the uh, Freemasons in Florida um, during his time that he was there. Um, now, his path is a little interesting, is that one of the things I don't know if everyone knows is that Grand Masters have the power to make a Mason at sight, which basically means that you can bypass all of the degrees and they just basically say, you're a Master Mason, I recognize you as such, and you immediately become a Master Mason. And it's a, it's a power that only the sitting Grand Master, past Grand Masters don't have it, any other member of the fraternity doesn't have it, but the sitting Grand Master at the time has that power. And in, the, in Shaq's case, that's exactly what happened, that he actually met Shaq somewhere and Shaq expressed an interest in becoming a Freemason. He said, poof, you're a Mason, and immediately became a Mason overnight, you know, and instantly a, a Mason at sight. So that's uh, how he came to be a Mason. But again, very proud of it. Um, and then I don't know if you know there's an interesting connection with Shaq that actually James Naismith, who was the Canadian who invented basketball, was a Freemason. So so that's I guess, right. you know, it, it's it, things come full circle in so that's many right. respects. And, and so... You know, in sports, we have so many people that were part of the fraternity. Um, so it's really cool, But and he is proud. And, and I think also, you know, if you look at Shaq, he is very much an upstanding pillar of the community, not just in sports. He's a person that has invested back and given his time back to the community. Um, He's an individual who's always, you know, I remember when they had the riots after the Lakers won the championship and one of the L.A. police cars was torched that he actually bought the LAPD a new police car. And I think he actually worked for a while as a deputy sheriff or something. So, again, very much a, an outstanding person who believes in bettering society and giving back. So, which, you know, is not surprising that the Masonic philosophy finds a home with someone like that. That's awesome. And you, you've got a couple of other funny stories about sports that you might want to share? Do you, do you have those? You, you seem to have a lot of good stories. 
You know, I, I don't know if I have too many stories about sports and Freemasonry. I mean, there right. were a lot of, you know, Ty Cobb. There were a lot of different people that were Freemasons that were involved in sports. Um, you know, again, going back in history, Edmund, Hillary that climbed Mount Everest was a Mason. You know, we have so many people that have shaped our world, as I said, and, and entertained us over the years. Um, you know, from Bud Abbott, from Abbott and Costello, Harry Houdini, um, uh, on and on and on, as I said, you know, the fraternities had a big impact in our world and, and so many levels and, and maybe beyond what a lot of people even realize on a day-to-day -day basis. But um, th there's endless stories, and, and I think we could spend all night, you know, telling stories for sure. Yeah. Um, in our own lodge, you know, here at Sunset, I don't know if you know this story, but one of our past masters, and unfortunately the name eludes me, I'll have to go look at the pictures on the wall and point them out to you afterwards, but he actually um, played football with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, back in the day, and uh, he was the uh, other person besides our, our good friend Clifton, who was a Choctaw, so we've had two Native American past masters in our lodge. Um, and when he passed away, he had his funeral, and a lot of players showed up, and one of them was Dick Buckus that actually came to his funeral, you know, so uh, pretty interesting characters. So even our lodge has had several really interesting people as part of its history. Um, and the fraternity as a whole, I mean, it's just endless. I suggest anyone that's interested go to Wikipedia, type in famous Freemasons, and just scroll the list and it's just endless you'll be there for hours and, and some of them again maybe names younger people won't recognize some they will um but a pretty amazing group of people for sure by the way and we've gone over some really really great people here i just want to ask you which mason has had the most influence on you in your life uh you know, I, I, I don't know if I can answer that question, right. to be honest. Uh -huh. I, I think it's a cumulative thing. I, I think all of them to a degree, because um, I think they all share the same thing. They all share that belief that we should be laboring to make the world a better place. Um, and you see that in, in so many of them that I admire and respect, you know, uh, from the, the second man to set foot on the moon to you name it. But I, just outstanding individuals. And, and I, I think people that have gone above and beyond to make our society a better place, our world a better place. And, and you know, I'm just grateful for all of them for having existed. As I said, it's our lineage. And I think I'm a part of that lineage. And so I see it more as a lineage, a collective lineage than an individual people. That's awesome. Well, we've gone over some really wonderful things here. I appreciate your help with this, Brother Michael. This has been really, really a good uh, good show today. I learned a lot myself along the way. And uh, by the way, if you want to reach us, be sure and, and uh, go to the web and look up our web address. It's sunsetmasoniclodge.org. sunsetmasoniclodge.org. And we'd love to see you come by. We're here on Tuesdays at 630. Until next week, I'm Les Jones, your host, the Senior Deacon here. Have a great one.